Welcome to week 11 of our sermon series, Tattoo My Soul. We get this idea of tattooing our souls with God's Word from Deuteronomy 11 that says, Write my words on your heart and in your soul. Do whatever it takes to remember what I'm telling you. Read my words. Write my words. Discuss my words. Take my words. Turn them into art. Take my words and do them. And you will be writing them on your soul. You'll be making them part of your heart. And if you do these things, if you read these words and just make your best effort to do them, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to flourish you. What a great exchange. Read this book. Attempt to do what it says, whatever that looks like for you, however you work in remembering. And he's going to bless us. And he's going to flourish us. If you're lacking blessings in your life, that's the formula to get it. So... There are a lot of words out there in the world. There's a lot of words being spoken. Just driving on the highway yesterday between Woodlands Parkway and Sawdust, I just looked to the right at all the billboards, and I'm like, thousands of words vying for my attention. God says, remember my words, because there are a lot of words out there that we could choose from, and too often the words that we do spend too much time thinking about remembering, stewing over, living under, they're bad words. They're negative words. They're ugly words. They're not true words. They're definitely not God's words. And to help us kind of get into the place we need to be to hear what God has to say to us this morning, what he wants to change the way that we think about this morning, I'm going to invite a little vulnerability in all of you. I want to ask you some interactive questions. Um, To set the tone, I will just share an ugly word that I have lived under for most of my adult life was the word coward. My father, when I was a boy in front of his adult friends, yelled at me, coward. And it just felt like a physical blow. And it was written on my heart at that time. And you guys, I lived underneath the identity of coward from whatever I was, nine or 10 years old into deep into my 20s. I believed what dad said about me was true, and it would take some prayer and some forgiveness to break free of it, to some, some reading of God's word, my ultimate father over me, to break free of it. And I know that you have similar words that have been spoken over you, that have hit you like a train. And I want to invite some vulnerability here. Um, remembering that we're in church and to keep it clean, what are some things, some ideas or some words that have been spoken over one of you, any of you, that have just hurt, that you have lived under? Give me one. Yes, ma'am. Worthless. That exact word, I believe, was the exact first word spoken in junior high. A student proclaimed, as Violet did, someone called me worthless. What a horrible thing to believe, to hear to speak to or to be spoken to, it is not true, but I know how it feels, and I'm sorry that somebody said that to you. Yes, ma'am. Annoying. I have been called annoying. I thought of um, a specific moment in time when my mom, when I was being a very rambunctious eight or nine-year-old at a shopping center, we were checking out. There were people everywhere, and I was being, you know, ridiculous. I was being young, and she just said, stop being such a spaz, and I was just like, ah! Like, it hurt, you guys, and I believed it, and I lived under it, and I was ashamed of it. Um, I know exactly how you feel. That is not true of you, 
but I know what that feels like, and that is an ugly thing to remember and to think about. Did I see a hand over here? Sam. Fat. People love to look at us in our bodies that are imperfect from the perspective of their bodies, which are imperfect, and then call out the imperfections. I hate that somebody said that to you. I'm sure not in a, a positive way, but a negative way. And that is an ugly thing to live under. And I'm sorry that that was said. Hand in the back. That you are emotionless. You guys, we are emotional creatures. It's the way God made us. It's all through the scripture. We feel things. He made us to feel things. And to be called something, to be labeled as something that goes in the direct opposite direction of what God himself said about us, that's one of the worst things we can live under. When somebody speaks a word that is absolutely the opposite of what God says about us. One or two more before we're done. Yes, ma'am. A burden. To be called a burden, to, to believe that we're burdens, to think of ourselves as a burden to the people around us is such, forgive me, a damning way of living. It's like a curse to think that. I'm so sorry that was said. You are not. You lift me up every time. I love that you sit in the front, Michaela. You encourage me. You are not a burden. Last one. Who wants to share? Miles. You can't. In a world where we live according to God's words, where he says, in all things, you can do impossible things if you live for me. An idea that, oh, you can't do this. A lie. You can do all things in the name of Jesus. Go look it up. It's in there in Philippians. I'm 90% sure it's in Philippians. But yes, buddy, you can. You of all people I have seen do things that are supernatural, that are beyond you. And to be told you can't and to embrace that idea, those are not God's words over you or any of you. That is not the way he intended you to live. So there's a lot of words out there that would cause us to believe from childhood till the day we die that we are less than. And so God says, no, 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 no. Remember my words. Remember what I have to say about you. Now, one of the reasons we're talking about this is because we are in this series where I'm showing you and sharing with you verses God has given me over the years. And my life verse that I sat down with God in January and said, hey, buddy, you know what's coming down the road better than me. You know where I need to grow this year better than me. You know the hardship I'm going to face in 2019 better than anyone. Would you give me a scripture, a verse to press into this year? And the one he gave me is right here on my wrist, and it's Job chapter 19. And man, have I needed this. Every single day, I've needed to read and remember this because of the year that I've had. Here's a picture of why this year has been hard for me and why this sermon is applicable and why this verse is perfect for me. All year, there's been a handful of people in my life, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, who Maybe their motives haven't been wrong, but the way they have spoken to me, the way that they have treated me has made me feel less than, has made me feel like a loser, has made me feel like I am a burden, has made me feel judged. Have you ever felt that way by people close to you? Of course you have. Have you ever made people feel like that? Maybe. And so what a great morning and what a great sermon to be a part of where we are going to hear what God has to say about that. 
a better way to live through that and to get free of that. God knew back in January that I would need to press into this verse all year long because of having to walk with some people that would intentionally or unintentionally make me feel less than. And here's the verse he gave me before I knew all that was going to happen. Job chapter 19. Job, struggling, suffering more than any other human in Scripture aside from Christ, says, Oh, friends, dear friends, take pity on me. God has come down hard on me. Do you have to be hard on me too? Don't you ever tire of abusing me? What I would give to have my words taken down, to have them written in a book, better yet inscribed on a monument and carved with an iron chisel and then filled with molten lead, that my words would be engraved in stone forever. And what is it that I have to say? It's this. I know my Redeemer lives. And I know that in the end, He will rise and He will take His stand on the earth. And even after my body has decayed, yet in my immortal body, I will see God. Yes, I will see God with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. So, friends, persecuting me, bullying me, not being good friends to me. How dare you? How dare you go on persecuting me, saying everything bad that's happening to you is your fault? You should fear punishment yourselves, for your attitude deserves punishment. For then you will know that there is indeed a judgment coming down from heaven. God has been using Job 19 to remind me and prayerfully today to remind you that when you have feelings that hurt, we are to give those to Jesus. When you have people in your life that you don't know how to handle, you are to, in prayer, give them to Jesus. And no matter what happens, even if their insults and persecution cause your death, that you can remember. I've got a Redeemer. I've got a Savior. I've got Jesus. He rose from the dead. I will rise from the dead. He's in heaven. I am going to heaven. That's good news. That's the gospel. No matter what happens to you, if you have believed in your heart and declared to someone, Jesus is my Savior. You have a one-way ticket to heaven. It is irrevocable. So you can know, no matter what this life throws at you, you have a reason to hope. So, there has been a contemporary song on the radio that has been ministering to me all year. God says, do whatever it takes to remember what I have to say to you, Justin and Job. Well, this song has been helping remember. I play it so often that Brooke is like, oh, God, please kill me now. I don't want to hear it again. And I'm just like, play. I've been listening to this song all year, and I want to talk to you about it today as a, form, a foundation for some scriptures to help us Look beyond our pain. As you listen to this song, I want you to listen. Are there any scriptural references? Is there any hope to be found? Is there any encouragement for being persecuted on earth? Check this out.
That was Geeks by Haley Knox, and I don't know if she wrote it from a Christian perspective, but there are multiple lines in those lyrics that are direct quotes of Scripture, and so I have claimed that song as my anthem, and I challenge you to think, how does it apply to me? If we want to understand this song and begin to get into it, we need to look at the title 
geeks. Is there anyone in this room that would label themselves a geek? Anybody at all? We got two, three, four. All right. What's up, my people? Now, if you are in this room, I am assuming if you are not only interested, you probably more than you've given your lives to Jesus. You are interested in things of faith, right? Now, let's look at the definition of what it means to be a geek. We think of glasses, computer, right? That's a popular way to think about it, but the actual definition is this. A person who has excessive enthusiasm about a specialized subject or activity, or a person who does not fit in with other people. Now, are Christians, God-loving, Jesus-following, Bible-reading and believing people, are we known as having an excessive enthusiasm for a specialized subject? You bet you, you bet you, almost said something bad. Let the message, the word of Jesus Christ, in all its richness fill your lives, Colossians chapter 3 says. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Let every activity of your lives, let every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of Jesus. Bring your constant praise to God the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Are we excessively enthusiastic about a specialized subject? Yes. Check. Geek. As a result of this excessive enthusiasm for Jesus, do people treat us? Does the world treat us? Do we sometimes feel like we don't fit in? John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus said to them, remember When the unbelieving world hates you, they first hated me. If you were to give your allegiance to the world, if you were to live like everybody else out there, they would love you. They would welcome you as one of their own. But because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. So are we a people who are excessively enthusiastic about this book about Jesus Yes. And as a result, do we not fit in? Yes. In fact, it says the world will hate us for living our lives for Jesus. And when you signed up or when you are thinking about signing up to be a Jesus follower, you need to count the cost and you need to know that. This world will hate you and you may already know what that feels like. Today's sermon is being called the gospel, the good news according to geeks. Why are Christians persecuted? I'm going to ask six questions based on six stanzas of the song, and then I'm going to race through scriptures that support the stanzas. I invite you to take your white paper and pen, and as you hear a verse or an idea that grips you, that you know, I need to remember that, that's going to bless me later, I encourage you, write it down, because I'm going to go fast. Question one, why are Christians persecuted? Stanza one. Just take a look at us. Just take a look at us. Are we not ridiculous? It is safe to say we've got no common sense. Just take take a peek at us, these freaks on the minibus, these geeks that you like to throw into the fence. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to roll through several verses. Here's verse 1. 
faith is the assurance of things that you have hoped for. It is the absolute conviction that there are realities in this life that we have never seen. We believe as Christians in invisible things. We believe in spiritual things. We believe in things like heaven and hell. And so people say, ridiculous. You're ridiculous to believe those things. Hebrews 11.3 says, Through faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. We believe that God created the universe, that God made the earth. I don't understand it. I don't have to. But the Bible says six days and on the seventh he rested. It's not an option. We have to. We get to believe that by faith. And if you do, if you say, you know, I'm not real sure about it. I don't know the science, but God said he made the earth. God said it's seven days. I believe that. You say that and tell me what's not going to happen at public schools around this country. People will say, you have no common sense. You are living according to an antiquated book with a ridiculous, magical idea. How foolish of you. But that's what we're called to believe, you guys. Hebrews eleven seven. it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. We as believers, we believe that God himself speaks to us personally. If something speaks to you this morning from what I'm reading, when you are praying, if you just feel electrified and you're like, God is speaking to me right now, that's him speaking to you right now. We believe that he does that. Not 2,000 years ago only, today, more so today. And if we believe that, we're, we're labeled as freaks. You think God's talking to you? You think God told you to change schools? You think God told you to forgive that person who you should like hate with all your heart? You think God's talking to you? Absolutely, I do. You call me whatever you want. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. This guy thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Here? No. In heaven. This man gave up the most powerful family position on earth chose to suffer with a hated people, God's people, because he was looking forward to something better. He was looking beyond this life. We believe Jesus rewards suffering. And as a result, people say, you're ridiculous. That's so foolish that you would knowingly walk into that and get hurt because you think God said so. 2 Timothy 3.12, anyone who wants to live by their faith in Christ Anyone who reads this book and obeys it, anyone who hears something today and decides, I'm going to go act as a result. I'm going to go do something with what I heard from the Lord. Anyone who does that will suffer persecution. If you call yourself a Christian and live your faith on this earth, you will suffer persecution. Sometimes big and sometimes small, but it's going to happen, and you need to know it. And we need to remember it. 
you will be persecuted for your faith. And so let's pray about that right now before we go to the next section. Bow your head. Pray in your own words. Something like this. Jesus, this is a little scary. Um, This is a little uncomfortable. Just own your brokenness. Own your fear. It's okay. But just, Jesus, would you increase my faith today? When persecution comes my way, will you give me the boldness that I need? You have not because you ask not, so ask Jesus today, increase my faith in you. Give me boldness. I don't want to run when it's time to stand up for you. I want to stand up for you. So Jesus, increase my faith. Question two, followed by stanza two of the song. How should we react to persecution? The song says, you know it really hurts. And it does, but we love it. You know it really hurts, but we're going to rise above it. It's going to hurt. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is all you need because my power works best in your weakness. So now, Paul declares, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I get to be strong in Him. Our reaction when we see persecution coming, when we realize we're in it, is take pleasure It means that God has an opportunity to be your strength. When persecution comes and you find yourself in a place of, I can't do this on my own, we as Christians get to pray, ask for power on high, get to remember heaven is the point, not earth. We get to rely on Jesus. That's good news. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17, even though our mortal bodies are dying, from the day we're born, dying, Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles right now, what's your present trouble? Is it deep and internal? Is it real? Are you feeling it or are you feeling whatever your present trouble is, no matter how big or small, Scripture says our present troubles are small and they will not last very long. And yet, Our present troubles produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. We don't pay attention to all the junk that's happening. It doesn't rule our lives. Why? Because we're going to fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we can see now, this earth, this body, our troubles, they will soon be gone But the things that we cannot see, the things we're focusing on, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, heaven, those things will last forever. This life, you could live 120 years on this planet. That's it. That's all we got. It's going to go by like that. But beyond that is eternity. Eternity. We react to persecution with the perspective, I'm going to focus on heaven, the reality of heaven. And so today... A prayer as we wrap this section up would be, Jesus, help me focus on heaven. Right now, 
If you heard an idea or a line from those scriptures that speaks to you, ask Jesus, help me remember those truths. Help me remember to rejoice in suffering. Help me remember to take pleasure in it. Help me remember that you did it, and so I get to do it. Question three, what does focusing on heaven look like? Like, what am I focusing on? Well, all through Scripture, there's places all throughout the Bible that tell us what it's going to be like. The song says, we know what we're worth, and you, devil, you, bullies, you're going to get what you deserve when all the geeks inherit the earth. Matthew chapter 5 is the Scripture that Haley was quoting when she wrote that. God blesses those who are broken and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek, what does that rhyme with? Geek. Oh, smart audience. God blesses those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God blesses those who thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they'll be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The world hates those of us who are vulnerable with our brokenness, who say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the only thing I can say. It's the only thing that gets me through. The world hates those who are meek, who try to live pure lives. And you know what God says? Oh, I bless those people. I love those people. Those are my people. God's reminding every one of us this morning, believe in me. Realize that you need me. Write my words on your heart. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, of social media, but be merciful people instead. Be peacemakers instead. Live for the next life and not this one. Do the right thing. Be willing to suffer for my name because if you do, he has promised he's going to comfort you, he's going to satisfy you, and he's going to give you the kingdoms of heaven and earth. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That scripture just said that heaven, what we are looking forward to, what we are striving for, it's better than you can imagine. Imagine that your favorite place to live in the world. Imagine your best day. It's better than that. It's beyond what you can imagine. Isaiah 65, 17 through 19, an old version of Revelation, says this, Behold, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and the weary, painful past will be as if it never happened. No one will talk or even think about it anymore. So take joy down here. Celebrate down here with unending gladness on account of what I am creating for you. Look carefully. I am making this place, heaven, that I've chosen, this Jerusalem, a city of joy. I'm making her citizens, my people, a people of gladness. This new Jerusalem, my pride and joy, and her people will be a delight to me. And though you listen at 
every corner in heaven, you will never again hear crying. And you will never again experience despair or grief. All the things that we hate about living down here, that we want to escape from down here, they don't exist in heaven. They're done. They're broken. They're finished. And that is good news. Heaven is a place of unending joy and celebration and gladness. We should fix our thoughts on that and pursue that. And on the worst day, we should sing about it and remind ourselves, this is not going to last forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53, let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, says Paul. We're not all going to die. But we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are all living will also be transformed. Our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. That's incredible. Think on that. Stew on that. Go read that later today. God just said that we get brand new bodies in heaven. Who knows what they're like? Who knows if we can't fly, transform, do all kinds of, I don't have any idea, but there's some amazing better than body in heaven that I get to receive when I get there. That in itself is like, I want that. I'm going to focus on that. When my vision goes when my arm breaks, when I get cancer, there is another, newer, better body waiting for me in heaven. And I get to live in that one forever. Amen indeed. Pray right now. Jesus, help me live my life for heaven. Jesus, write some of these truths on my heart so I can remember heaven. Just ask the Lord, help me remember these things so when bad stuff happens, I can have hope. With heaven in mind, how do we respond when persecution happens? All these things doesn't mean that the persecution is going to be easy. How do we respond to persecution? The song says, aren't we absurd? We're just a bunch of nerds. And it's safe to say, you guys, regardless of that, you are so much cooler than that. You are so much better than that. The world's words don't begin to scratch the surface of how amazing you are in reality. So because of that, take your punch at us. Take your best shot, devil. Take your best shot, bully and broken world. Go ahead. Steal my lunch. Take everything I've got because I'll take that blow. I'm going to play my part in the act. What is our part as believers in a broken world in the act called life. Matthew 5, 43 through 35, uh, 45. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Our part in persecution, in bullying, in getting punched in the face for our faith is to play our part by praying for the people persecuting us. Think about that. How countercultural that is, but the person that hates you the most and makes it known to pray for them, to seek what's best for them. That's God's way. That's our part to play on this earth. John 13, 34 through 35, I'm giving you a new commandment today, says Jesus. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, 
just as I have given my life for you, laid down my best interests for you, that's how you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Our part in this act, this moment, is to show the world a better way. Right now, if you've got somebody or something in your life that's just too much, that's wearing you down, just pray right now, especially if there's people involved. Jesus, help me love my haters. Help me love the people that have spoken down on me. Help me love the people who have persecuted me. Help me pray for them. I pray for what's best for them right now. Why should we care about our haters? The song says, you toss your sticks and stones and we'll just lick our wounds. Beware the underdogs. Payback is coming soon. Don't blame the universe when the karma is reversed. Just look at yourself and take a look at us and then you'll know what's up. Matthew 25, 31 through 33. When Jesus comes in his glory at the apocalypse, at Armageddon, at the end, in Revelation. When Jesus comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep, that's us, gentle, kind, peace-loving, obedient. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats, the stubborn, the mean, the unrelenting on his left. And then he will turn to those on the left and say, away with you. Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. You guys, the promise for people that refuse to come to Jesus, that refuse to acknowledge he's real, that refuse to believe in their heart and declare it, is hell, is eternal fire. And you and I have no right to wish that on even our worst enemy. Our response when we are persecuted is to pray for the people that are bound, that have their one-way ticket to hell, that they would wake up, that they would see the way we respond to persecution and say, how, why aren't you responding like the rest of the world? Why are you seeking what's good for me as I'm hurting you? Why? Jesus, I live my life for Jesus. Pray right now that God would break your heart for your haters. Pray right now that the people that you have chosen to not forgive and to hate, God, break my heart for them. Because you love them and they're your kids too. Help me point them. Help me lead them to something better. Help me know how to pray for them, especially the next time they hurt me. The last point, the last question, the last understanding is that we will not always be last. The song says we know what we're worth. Our value is in Jesus and this book and not what the world says. And these people and these spiritual forces that have been messing with us, you will get what you deserve when the geeks, when these lovers of Jesus inherit the earth. We know what we're worth when, because we are going to go from worst to first. We're going to inherit the earth. One of my favorite scriptures that's so looked over 
about heaven is in John 14, verse 2, that says, Don't you realize, Christian, that someday we believers will judge the world? Picture heaven. Picture you there. You have made it. You persisted in your faith and loved people well. You will judge the world. And don't you realize that we will judge angels too? What? That is crazy. That all those midnight persecutions and that 3 a.m. voice that tells you you're garbage and nothing and worthless reminds you of every fear and shame you've ever felt that tempts you to take your life and to sin. We will stand in judgment over those spirits, over those angels. We will have the final say. That is incredible. That is good news. I would take this light and temporary suffering to be in that place of power and authority and love and grace. And God promises that heaven, when we get there, we are no longer at the bottom. We are at the top with Christ. Somebody told me this this week that this word meek, that also rhymes with weak. To be meek is not weakness. It is power under control. To be meek in this life means that you know I have power but I'm controlling it. It's for a later time. I'm not going to use my power to hurt like the rest of the world. I'm going to use it to love. I'm going to use my power that God has given me to forgive people supernaturally, to pray for people even as they're attacking me. I'm going to love people so fully and with all of myself that they can't not stop and say, how? And that'll be my opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Bailey and company take the stage. We're going to respond to what we've heard about heaven and the way we're to, re- to respond and react and to think about heaven and the realities of it. I'm going to read you one final scripture and give you one final thing to ask to the Lord, and it's really a summary of all we've discussed. Know that when I am done, you can bring your prayer cards and place them in the offering boxes with your tithe. Know that when I'm done, you can respond to God by taking part in communion, drinking this juice and eating this broken bread that represents the fact that everything God is asking us to do, Jesus already did. If he can do it and he's given us his Holy Spirit, we can do it too. And we can respond in song. We can sing even if today's a horrible day. Even if you're scared of the idea of walking this out, we can sing in joy and gladness and celebration because no matter what life throws at you, you're going to heaven. Hebrews eleven thirty three through 40, by faith, God's people have overthrown kingdoms. They've ruled with justice. They've received what God promised them. We have the power to shut the mouths of lions, quench the flames of fire, escape death even by the edge of the sword. Our weakness is turned to strength when we become strong in battle. We get to put whole armies to flight. Women receive their loved ones back from the dead. However, others, others were, others will be tortured. Others were and will be, having refused to turn from God in order to be set free, they'll be tortured and killed because they placed their hope in a better life after death after the resurrection. And so, do not be surprised that some of you will be mocked, 
that your backs will be cut open with whips. Even others will be chained up in prison. Some will die by stoning. Some will be sawed in half. Others will be killed with the sword. Some will go about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated because they were too good for this world. That's how God sees you. That's what God's saying to all of you today. You placed your faith in me. You've declared your faith in me. You're too good for this world. This world doesn't deserve you anymore. You're so good. You set your sights on the realities of Jesus. You set your sights on the fact that you're going to heaven. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. You're too good for it. But by God, let as many people know as possible. There's a better way. There's a more hopeful way. Let us be a people who pray for our enemies, who love, love with all we've got, even when it hurts. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for today. And thank you for the unsurpassable, unstoppable hope that we have in you. I could get hit by a bus today. I could be murdered for my faith, and it would be okay because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be in heaven with you, and it's going to be a lot longer and sweeter and better and more powerful than my life ever was down here. Thank you, God, for the hope of heaven. Would you please increase our faith? We declare to you today, we may not understand all of it, but we say to you, I believe. Help my unbelief. Please increase our faith. Please prepare us to suffer well. Please help us know how to pray amidst persecution. Help us understand that we are not living for what this life has to offer, but what heaven promises. We love you and we need you. And we ask you to bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.